welcome back to the Drilling Company's Good Noise. We've had some technical difficulties and we're happy to return with a short play that packs a punch. On Time by Brian Dykstra. On Time is part of the Time Project we initiated more than a year ago in 2020. Now it's a prescient look back at where we were just a little over 365 days ago with a few thoughts that are, well, timeless. The audio cast is preceded by a more recent interview with the writer, Brian Dykstra, about how COVID affected his process and what was in store for him now that things were wrapping up and we were getting back. The short has audio performances by Carla Hendrick and Drew Valens, longtime drilling company favorites, along with myself, and a sound design by Robert Siefkin. So here's that interview, followed by the play, Some Good Noise. Welcome, Brian Dykstra. What, if anything, changed for you about your writing process? Well, quantity has certainly um, uh, been affected because <laughs> I had nothing else to do. I mean, normally I'm a playwright who right. acts. And when I'm in rehearsal, there's no room in my brain for writing. And, and the first at least three weeks of performance, I just am not in that practice. So I don't really start writing until either the play is over if it's I'm out in the regions or maybe in the last couple of weeks of the run. Um, normally when I'm not working as an actor, I'm home. And when I'm writing, I generally start around four in the afternoon and I write till about four in the morning with, you know, I'll take breaks, I'll cook dinner. We'll, I'll eat dinner with my wife. We'll watch television. Then I'll go back to writing until really quite late. During COVID, I've been going to bed at reasonable hours and I wake up in the morning and start writing. I mean, I'll start writing around noon or one or one thirty or two. And I'll, and I'll write, because it used to be, because you keep hearing about it, playwrights who are like, I wake up in the morning and I write early in the morning. And I tried doing that for a while and I found that I would wake up in the morning I would start writing and 15 minutes later, I'd be taking a nap on the couch. <laughs> so that just wasn't my rhythm. Um, so now it does seem to be a, an earlier, um, I guess, because what am I, what am I doing? Like, no, you know, normally right. I might be going out for breakfast or seeing friends, but now it's going like, to an audition or something. I, I might as well start. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I might as well start writing when I'm up. Have you been writing poetry since you were a kid or did you discover the poetic form later in your experience of writing? That's a really interesting question. Um, I, I'll answer the second part first and I'll try to remember the first part second. Sure. I, I remember in 1979, I took a poetry class in college and the first thing I brought in had was heavy rhyme. And I mean like internal rhyme, end rhyme, 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 rhyme. And uh, after I read it, my poetry teacher said, yeah, poetry doesn't rhyme anymore. <laughs> and then about 10 days later, I heard Rapper's Delight on the radio for the first time. And I, and I remember thinking, well, poetry might not rhyme anymore, but something does. This right. does. And this right. does in a way that lyrics don't. So I don't want to say I invented rap, 
I would, I would stay. I would no, stay right. Away. I'm staying away from that. Um, very far away from that. Yeah. But I, I do remember doing Romeo and Juliet in college, and there was a guy that came in and talked about scansion, and we scanned the whole play as a as a cast because it was college, and they were trying to teach you something. And I was so turned on by what the different, like a spondy and a pyrrhic spondy and a dactyl and an im and a dip, it just like a trochee. I was like so turned on by all this stuff that um, you know, I was applying it to theater and acting, but we would go through the script and they would pass something and I'd be like, no, no, that's, a tro that's two trochees. And then there's like, there's like, these lines have like six out of eight have feminine endings. So I think he's telling us to speed up here. And <laughs> I remember the director right. going like, Jesus, how do you know all this? I'm like, I don't know, I, yeah. I don't know. Um, so I, I don't know if that answers your question. So about 19. You weren't attracted to verse right away and you were inspired by hip-hop well i i don't know about that because what what i did was i wrote something it wasn't hip-hop what i wrote but it was heavy rhyme and so the sure. hip-hop what it did was it allowed me to ignore that poetry teacher i mean i didn't ignore yeah. him in that class sure. I, I didn't write another rhyming thing the whole semester but i i did not mind um you know back back in 79 it was Levertov and Ferlinghetti and uh, um, the great uh, Allen Ginsberg. Sure. Those were the poets and they Famous. weren't, yeah, they weren't writing <laughs> yeah. anything that rhymed. It was all, yeah. Yeah. but there was some beat, there was some beat poetry to it still. So there was some rhythm to it. It's just that that's not really what we were exposed to in college in Southern California in 79. But when did that make its way into your playwright? Well, I remember writing things and being very um, uh, frustrated when we were in rehearsal and directors and actors wouldn't take the time to explore the rhythm of the piece. And I didn't know how to communicate that, no, no, there's a rhythm here, there's a heartbeat here that, that's in the writing. And I couldn't point to it. I couldn't really explain it. Um, I'm sure many playwrights feel this way, but um, I just remember constantly being frustrated. And now I know how to talk about it better. So even, even in a play like Hiding Behind Comets, which I wrote 2002, like I just knew that there was something that wasn't getting uh, wasn't getting explored. Now it would happen naturally. You get the right actors in there, and talented people will will find their way to it. But I wanted you know directors to to be pointing it out and saying, "What are you pausing for there? Or why aren't you pausing there? Or why aren't you speeding?" <laughs> it's in the writing. You wanted it to be more plain on the page. I think so. Delivering. Well, I thought it was plain on the page. I just didn't sure. see actors pick it up <laughs> yeah but by the time but by the but when you started adding real poetry to the i mean it's very specifically uh then it became uh harder to harder to ignore and, and I, yeah i guess so when you're or 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 to miss but when, so when you're creating that you have to create a specific environment for yourself uh is there anything that you do in the environment that you create around yourself as a writer to, to do this besides the time thing that you were talking about or is uh or, is it, or do you just let it, or does it just sort of come to you? 
I have can, a you, can you write this kind of stuff anywhere or do you need to be say specifically at, at your home or something? Well, if I have to, I can. Um, it, you know, that, there's nothing's better than a deadline for writer's block, you just don't have it. Um, right. But I mean, generally I have a standing desk area where I can stand or sit. I have music over my shoulder. Um, and sometimes like I was writing this one thing and all I listened to was, um, oh God, it's a it's proper names. I mean, Bob Dylan is his name, but the album is the one with Tangled Up in Blue on it. I just listened to it over and I just would play it and then I'd play it again. And I keep, that's all I listened to. And Margaret was being driven crazy, I'm sure. She's like, oh God, he's writing that piece again. Um, but sometimes it's hip hop, sometimes it's Dylan, sometimes it's, you know, I mean, it's even, it's kind of weird because sometimes I'll, I'll go to like a heavy lyric guy like Leonard Cohen. And you would think that those words coming so clearly about something else would get in the way, but I find that it, I mean, when it does, then I go to like, yes, because that you can, I, I don't know what the fuck they're saying. Right. <laughs> right, yeah, right like right. Uh, a seasoned witch will what? So, um, yeah. Um, and then sometimes the music's off. Not very often, but, you know, sometimes I'll write with the music off. Sure. So the on time piece, mm -hmm. so it was written, obviously, uh, a, a year ago. What changed for you in the last year in your outlook of, say, where we're headed? Well, I mean, I, I wrote a piece a couple of years ago where a guy's introducing a slam poet in a competition and he says something like um, global warming will wipe out or global warming will lead to coastal flooding that will wipe out a, a, a billion people and viruses incubated in a hotter world will wipe out another 1.2. So my outlook is generally pretty bleak as it comes to the way human beings ignore this existential crisis that we've created. And we still do it. I mean, we hear lip service, but like we're still pumping tons of CO2 in the atmosphere and it's going to kill us. Right. But recently somebody came up with a vaccine. <laughs> somebody has figured out a way that even the variants are going to be dealable. Like I, I, I read that, that Moderna actually had the genome mapped and a map of how to make a vaccine within three days of getting the genome. And you're like, Okay, and they could have made a vaccine if they didn't have to test it, they didn't have to go through all the process. We could have had a vaccine a year ago or, okay, nine months ago. So earlier, we could yeah. have had a vaccine, certainly could have had a vaccine earlier. And, I mean, of course, you have to proceed yeah. cautiously. Yeah, right. Of course, you have and, to test things. Yeah, well, and, and even still, some people are uh, suspicious that we haven't tested it enough. So, of it's, course, it's a, yeah, so the, these are obviously necessary, but. But the science, the, science, but the science that we have, they can actually boost a vaccine to defeat a variant within a week. Yeah. And then they've got a manufacturer. So that's a different issue. But so you're like, you know, we spend we have a political party in this country that's been denigrating science for 40 years. Yeah. And we may need to rely on that science we've been denigrating for 40 years now. So it's, you know, there was a time in New York City where they thought 
we cannot continue. There's horseshit everywhere. And this, this city is completely unlivable. And then cars were invented. So there were, you know, and all and, the buggy whip manufacturers went out of business. They cleaned up the horseshit problem. They cleaned up the horseshit problem. Now it they made, it, it made other problems. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it did. It did. I don't think we were thinking of those when we were, we were thinking of how terrific it was that we we're getting places faster and yeah. we got rid of all this mess on the sidewalk. So hopeful. I mean, you know, there's plastic that's going to kill us and there's global warming that's going to kill us unless scientists figure out how to mitigate the problem. And I hate relying on on not behavior, but I watch the behavior and go, if we're relying on human behavior, forget it. We're checking out and we'll become the only species in the history of the planet who's actively participated in our own extinction. Right. Say something for a second about the projects that you're working on right now, just before we uh, tag this off. Just, just describe some of what you're doing right now. Well, uh, let's see. Um, I wrote a, a TV show. I mean, most of it's about how crazy people are in, or, or trying to live in an insane world. And the other stuff is I'm writing a couple of pieces for some theater companies. And most of it is about how Zoom theater doesn't work. So uh, I, I wrote a piece for a resident acting company where they talk, where they talk about, where they're trying to do a piece and, and they're trying to decide what, if, what about what they're doing is still theater. And of course, theater is in person, sharing the same air, uh, live, you know, it's all the stuff that we can't do over Zoom, but there's still something different about theater that film and TV do differently. And that is we embrace language. So if we can find the language, then we're doing some form of theater um, in that piece. And then the other piece is um, I'm writing a play for Hudson Stage. It's a short play, 20 minutes, I think, with a friend named Darren Deshawn. And the piece is called This Doesn't Work. And it's a piece about how Zoom theater doesn't work. At least we think it is because we're in the middle of just sort of starting to talk about it. Um, that sounds great. And uh, <laughs> without further ado, we're going to say thank you to Brian Dykstra for uh, taking a couple of minutes to talk. And we're going to go to some of that theater language that he's produced. So uh, thank you, Brian Dykstra. I hope you all enjoy. Right now. No, seriously, right now, right fucking now. Presently, at this moment, there is a machine that is breathing for my father. That machine is buying time. Her doctors talk about that a lot, time. They talk about time a lot. How fast is she breathing, my sister? How slow is she breathing? How quickly? Even though my little girl is supposed to be too young to be affected, or at least disaffected. And I know there's so much we don't know, but someone this young, it's rare. That's what they say. What to believe though, right? Still, they want to know. We want to know. How's her blood pressure? Is it sluggish or quick or normal or approaching normal or near normal? Will it ever be normal? Ever? How long will we have to wait for that? How much time? And what about the beat of her heart? Her little heart? Is it rapid? Compared to what? Is it slow? Slower? Too slow? And how do we gauge? Beats per... What is it? Minute. It is minute. It's beats per minute. 
Heartbeats gauged as normal or sluggish or rapid against time. One minute. We measure heartbeats, the amount or the rate, against time. One minute of time. There's a race against time. I said rate. I know what you said. There's still a race. What have you done? 60 beats per minute. What is? Is that normal? Healthy? Average? One per second. That sounds right. Her heart keeping time with time. Average is a wide range. Is it? I heard it is. How wide? I think it's normal to be between 60 and 100 beats per minute. That is a wide range. How is your daughter's? It's fast. So too is my father's. Two billion heartbeats. What is? That's what we get. That's what every animal gets. Every mammal, at least. Birds even. Some birds. On average, two billion heartbeats, like grains of sand, counting down the time you have left. At 72 beats per minute, you reach two billion in about 72 years, which is average for humans. A human lifespan. Chickens have much faster heartbeats. Chickens? About 275 beats per minute for a chicken. So they add up to 2 billion in about 15 years, which is their life expectancy. Why are you talking about chickens? Or, okay, a mouse. A mouse lives three years, but its heart rate is way faster than my sister. Or a chicken. Less faster than with a chicken, but still five times faster than a chicken. So yes, that is a lot faster. Why are we... But still exponentially faster than my sister. That mouse. What? Why are we talking about chickens? I'm talking about my sister. But you were talking about chickens. Don't be ridiculous. You were. I know I was. But why? So we can avoid talking about time. The time we have left. With them. What have you done? Some get better. That's true. Not a lot. No, but some. Sometimes, listen, sometimes, like this time, at this time, or at a time like this, when it feels like we have all the time in the world, it also feels like we're running out of time. Time waits for no, what is it? For no man. Man? Yes. Fine, but we do too. We keep running out of time too. Also, time to to have reacted quicker. We're not getting that time back. No. Time before a cure or a vaccine or... What? Even a treatment. We have those. I know. Some promising treatments. They're not helping my sister. They're not helping my father either. Or rather, they haven't helped. Yet. Maybe they weren't administered in time. No. That's possible. It's possible if they had caught it earlier or taken it more seriously, taken more necessary precautions, pre-cautions, cautions before the fact, treated it sooner, earlier, at an earlier time, I guess, for a longer time. Maybe that would have helped. Maybe helped to buy more time. Right. For more options. Time means more options. But now what? Now we wait. We wait for news. For how long? And what have you done with- As long as it takes, or as long as we have, we wait. At home. They won't let us wait with them, not if it's bad, so we wait. For a cure, we wait. For an action, we wait. For movement, we wait. For an opening. We wait for a plan, we wait. For a test. For a break. For the weather. We wait. 
For breaking the weather, whatever that looks like, we wait. For the second wave. Or the third. A prognosis. A treatment. A course of action. A plan of attack. An election. We wait. For something to do. Something to do with all this time. This time on our hands. This slipping, slipping, slipping into the future time. I know that song. What song? Doesn't matter. No? No. What have you done with your talent? What? What was that? Or is that? What is that? No, I mean, when I was an undergrad, which was a long time ago, I had an acting teacher. You were a... She was from Poland. I don't know why or if where she was from is relevant. She said one day in class, she said that someday I would die. I couldn't argue with that. Not even back then. I was maybe 20. Bulletproof, I thought. Indestructible, I thought. She said she believed in God. But it didn't matter if I believed in God or what kind of God, because she was trying to teach me something. So I should shut up and listen. And that God in this story was just a metaphor. So shut up for a moment and listen to the lesson. She said, someday you will die. And you will meet God. And God will demand of you. Not me, not forceful, like I said, a demand. God will ask after you die. God will demand what have you done with your talent? And if you don't have an answer or you shrug your shoulders and say to God, um, I, um, uh, then God will smack his hands together or on something, pounding it to make a point. But it will be frustration God is feeling, not anger. It will be frustration because God gave this to you, not someone else, this gift, this talent. And if you don't have an answer, he will pound the table or the arm of a chair in frustration and he will cry out, not good enough. And you will have to take that, that disappointment from God. But that won't keep you out of heaven. See, God feels that frustration every single day. What have you done with your talent? He asks, demands. How often is God satisfied with our answers? How often? Sometimes. Maybe. Maybe sometimes. Maybe. So, does that mean, what does that mean? Are you, uh, did you become an actress? No. I was an actress. That's not even true. I studied acting. I wanted to be an actress. But I wasn't. So, what did you do with your talent? Right. That's right. That's my point. No. But we, we all have things. Or had things, didn't we? Things we, you know, things we wanted to, you know, do or be or do, really. Things we wanted to do. 
I wanted to write, kind of. No, I did, but the kind of writing I wanted to do, it didn't pay any bills. Or I couldn't imagine a way it would pay any bills, not without struggle, more struggle than I had in me, and maybe never, even with that struggle, if I had it in me. So, so I had to put that away. There wasn't, you know, there wasn't time for it or enough time. There were responsibilities, a mortgage, mouths to feed when I was a child and all that. I spake as a child, etc. When I grew to be a man, I put away childish things. There just wasn't time for those. For which? You know, childish things. And now? And now? What? I don't mean to suggest that we have nothing but time. But what I mean instead is that maybe... We actually do have nothing but time, which is maybe, I don't know, maybe that's all we ever had or have the time we are allotted. What have you done with your talent? What are you doing with your time? If you're somehow suggesting this is somehow some kind of gift that we're supposed to... Of course not. No. No one would suggest that. No way. Okay. What are you doing with your talent? Or what have you done with your time this time? Which might actually be the same question. If you take the time to examine it, and if you have the sinking feeling that God would be disappointed with your answer, then stop wasting your talent. Stop squandering your time. Otherwise, we are going to end up with nothing but time. That's our fourth edition. Thanks for joining Good Noise and the Drilling Company. Go to www.drillingcompany.org for more information on our upcoming Shakespeare in the Parking Lot performances, our Bryant Park Shakespeare performances, our future podcasts, and to drop a ducket in the bucket if you had a good time. Thanks for listening, folks. Be well. <laughs>